0: Hey, Scene Vault listeners, are you a NASCAR collector? Well, we've got two great magazines for you. First up, we've got the 75 Greatest Drivers. Last season, NASCAR added 25 drivers to its Greatest Drivers list to celebrate their diamond anniversary, and we partnered with them to help tell their legendary tales. This 116-page magazine is packed with the stories that made each of these drivers the greatest we have ever seen. Printed in full color on glossy paper and delivered to fans inside a polybag to protect its contents, this magazine will sit on the coffee tables of NASCAR fans for years to come. There are also several different covers to collect, including unique designs for Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, and more. We've also got a few remaining copies of the 75th Anniversary magazine, featuring hundreds of pages of photos, profiles, iconic stories, and much, much more covering every single year of NASCAR. Both of these are shipping in high-quality poly bags to protect your collector's item. Get yours today at DailyDownForce.com slash shop. That's DailyDownForce.com slash shop.
1: Hey, y'all. Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources, to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Hill State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind the scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers. And they weren't new. They yeah. had been, they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. Wasn't so, the first steel
2: they build, I bet. No. <laughs> no.
1: You know, you, I think they were, they had, the, the pliers had been red before, but paint had <laughs> worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenueers.
3: He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped-up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap cheapo cars and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him, and it, it, as he said it was a game of chicken and I was the chicken and so he ran <laughs> off the court. <laughs> and actually he was the guy who who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy still when Junior got tangled up in a wire in a <laughs> yes. fence.
1: So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast available on YouTube, DailyDownforce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the
0: Scene Bought Podcast.
1: Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history, presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace.
3: I don't want you pity. I don't want you feeling sorry for me. I just want you to pray for me. That's all I asked. He had a picture on the nightstand of me and him, and, uh... I go outside crying. Well, Lizzie was sitting in his driveway looking down that road waiting for Adam to come home. Something grabbed my left shoulder and touched it and kind of shook it. And it's kind of like Adam telling me, I'm okay.
4: Don't worry about it. I'm okay." The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hello everyone,
1: I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston and welcome to the Seam Vault Podcast, presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing show place and a track that truly cares about NASCAR history. This is an episode that I've been looking forward to releasing and at the very same time I've dreaded putting it out there. I've looked forward to it because it's one of the most emotionally intense episodes that we have ever produced, but at the very same time, I've also dreaded it just because of how intense it is. Pete Wright is as old school as old school NASCAR gets. He was the chassis specialist for team owner Billy Hagen when Terry Labonte won the 1984 Winston cup championship. Pete worked with a bunch of different teams over the years. He worked for everybody from Terry Labani and Daryl Waltrip to Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman. And I did not know that until we started talking. So he bridges the gap between the past and the present and the future.
4: Absolutely. I was very surprised to hear all that about Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman. You know, Rick, I've known Pete for a long, long time. Now, we both come from the same part of Virginia. and We have always had conversations. Every race that I went to. And I thought, honestly, that he was deep in retirement right about now because heck, I hadn't seen him in quite a while. But I was surprised to find out, boy, that really wasn't the case.
1: This episode, Pete talks about the loss of his son, Adam, who also worked in NASCAR for several years. He worked with his dad at MB2 Motorsports. He worked for Roush Fenway Racing. And then he also worked for Junior Motorsports. And Steve, we are recording this. On Friday, August 19th, and tomorrow is the five-year anniversary of the accident that took Adam's life. And what we're going to do this week is we're going to record this today. We're going to release it for our Patreon supporters today, and then we're going to release the episode itself into wide release on iTunes and Spotify and Google and whatever. That'll go up tomorrow on the five-year anniversary of Adam's accident. I have gotten emotional during interviews before. I cried when I talked to Scotty Maxwell, the former Hendrick Motorsports crew member, who was a New York City fireman who responded to the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center. And this interview, I, (laughs) I had tears running down both cheeks. You can hear the emotion in my voice. And at one point, you can kind of hear me choking things back. And honestly, I am not going to apologize for that. I am a dad. You're a dad. And what Pete Wright experienced is every parent's worst nightmare.
4: Well, as I told you, Rick, I've known Pete for a long, long time. And most of the time, when we would speak, he would be really funny, enjoying what he was talking about laughing, smiling, and his eyes would just light up. Well, during the course of this interview, Rick, I did notice one thing. Pete's eyes never lit up. And I know this is a tough thing for him, but I give him credit for it. He's courageous, and it looks like to me that what he went through, and for him to be able to talk about it, indicates that speaking about this tragedy is a real healing process for Pete.
1: In this episode, listeners are going to hear stories from Pete about Adam, but also about Adam's dog, Lizzie, and the impact that Animal Rescue has had on Pete and dealing with his grief. And in honor of Pete and Lizzie, and in memory of Adam, this week, we are not asking for any kind of Patreon, PayPal, Venmo support for ourselves. Now, we need all that, and we need all that to continue existing, but here is my challenge to anybody who hears this episode or watches the video on YouTube. I have donated $50 to Rough Love Rescue in Thomasville, North Carolina. That's a rescue that Pete suggested, and I'm going to challenge everybody out there to donate as well, whatever you can. $20, $50, $5, $10. You can make it a recurring donation every month. So, in order to do that, you can go to roughloverescue.com. That's R U F F L O V E rescue, R E S C U E dot com, slash donate to help out.
4: Well said, Rick. The story of Lizzie and her relationship with. Adam is just truly amazing. It's just one that, well, let's just say it warms the heart. That's all I can say about it. And if you have an opportunity, listeners, please help the rough love rescue people out. They would really, really enjoy that.
1: And just as a reminder, this podcast is not associated in any way with American city business journals, owner of the same brand.
4: What was your reaction when your son, Adam, started out in NASCAR to follow your footsteps?
3: Uh, I took him to Charlotte to the race. He's seen how many people there knew him because I'd always took him to the racetrack yeah. with me. He knew, everybody knew Adam. Uh, Richard Petty. I got pictures of him and Richard sitting up in the front of the truck when Adam wasn't a year older, you know. Everybody knew Adam. And he told me when we were riding back home, he said, Dad, this is what I want to do. I said, What? He said, I want to get a job in racing. I said, Son, you, no, you don't need that. We'll find you something to do.
1: Now, how old was he at the time?
3: 16, I think. And I said, Uh uh. He said, Please, let me try it. I said, Okay. So I talked to Jay. He said, yeah, during the summer, we'll hire him, but he's got to finish school. So Adam was a dead blame good baseball player, good baseball player, third base. Well, he went back. He worked for us all summer. Everybody loved him. And he went back to school. Weekends, he would go to some of the races with me. You know, still be with the guys. And then finally, when he got out of school, he went to work full time for us at MBT. Then uh, he got an offer to go to work at Roush. I said, son, do what you want to do. So he got a job at Jack Roush working on uh, the 3M car. Todd Cleaver. I believe that was the guy's name, Todd Cleaver. And uh, he was, that was a, uh, Bush car. Yeah. And uh, he moved out from the house because I was getting ready to marry my second wife. But he didn't want to stay there no more. He wanted to move closer to the because he, he really knew a lot of people down there. And uh, he went down there and went to work for Ralph. moved into an apartment behind uh, Walmart over here, and that's where he started it.
2: But as far as following my footsteps, I was
3: tickled to death. I thought, I hope it is, has been as good to you as it has been for me. <clears throat> and uh you no, know, he worked for several teams after that. Then he quit and started doing woodwork and his girlfriend didn't want to travel no more. And he made a big mistake doing that. He about lost everything he had. And Finally, he just told the girl to hit the road. He was going back racing. Went to a couple places, talked to him, then went to TRM, and they hired him that day. Ryan did because Ryan knew him. Ryan worked with him at MB2 and stuff.
2: Pemberton, Yeah. Yeah. And then he got
3: killed later
2: on. August 20th, 2017. I, I don't even know what
1: to
3: say. Worst day of my life.
1: What, if anything, do you
3: remember? I remember the night before.
2: He was at a law-growing party at
3: one of his friends' houses. And uh, I called. It was late. I called him. I told him. I said, son, I said, are you okay? He said, yeah, Dan, I'm fine. He said, here, somebody wants to talk to you. He gave me the phone, and I talked to uh a NASCAR official. I can't think of his name. He's the, he was a black guy that worked on NASCAR. I'm trying to think of his name, but he really. moved to California to yeah. work on them rocket ships or something. Anyway, I talked to him for, Daryl was his yeah. name. And I talked to him, and then Adam got back on the phone. I said, Well, son, you having fun? He said, Yeah, Dad, a, I got a lot of problems, but women ain't one of them. That's the last words I heard my dad, heard my son say. I said, Okay, have fun. Well, later on that night, phone rings. It's 1030. Um, I picked Adam, called and telling me he was home. I looked at him. It wasn't him. It was his friend. He says, Pete, says,
2: there's been a wreck on Adams Road.
3: The girl he had been with at the... Log Growing was at his house waiting on him to come home. And he ain't got home yet. I said, and they won't let me get no closer than I am. I said, well, okay. I said, let me know something, Queasy you can. Do you remember who it was that called? Dave Ellens. Him and Adam were real good friends. Dave. Ellens, he's, he's crew chief for Eric Jones now. Um, I had Dale, I mean... Uh, Dave worked for us at MB2 as our engineer. He graduated from Clemson. He's from Michigan. Great guy. Great guy. He's like my son now. You know, He, like, took over.
2: And he calls me back. He
3: says, Pete, I don't think it's been a wreck, and I think it's him. But I think he's okay. They're trying to get to him, but Lizzie won't let him get to him. His dog and I said no oh. he calls me back ten minutes later he's I said is he dead I something just told me he was dead something just it was like God told me I took him you know he's not yours no more he's mine and when I
2: when I talked to him he
3: finally told me, he said, yeah, he's dead. I still have the text on my phone. Well, I just, I got nuts. I go back in there and tell my wife what had happened. And uh, when uh, I really kind of just lost it for a little while, but then I started thinking, what what am I going to do? He was like my wife, my best friend. Well, I go back and Wait, you know, I just couldn't stand. I went back and laid down in bed a minute. And I'm laying there just crying my eyes out. And while I'm laying there, something grabbed my left shoulder and touched it and kind of shook it. Nobody in the room. There's nobody but me. And it's kind of like Adam telling me, I'm okay. Don't worry about it. I'm okay. I mean, it was just nobody knows that film until it happens to him. And after that, after he touched me, I was I was in a different state of mind. I knew he had messed up, he had died, and he had gone to heaven. And after that, they started putting me on all these pills, you know, to keep me calm, keep well the state trooper calls and tells At that time, his mom had come to the house and her husband and a couple friends, you know. The cops called and said, "Uh, we hate to inform you that your son was in an accident and he's deceased. And hung up. Which, being an officer, I I have a lot of friends that are state troopers or had that's retired, and they tell you that's the hardest part of their job they've ever had. And I kind of just let that slide. I just thought, well, he didn't really want to tell it. But anyway, I stayed up all night just praying, thinking. I finally went to sleep a couple hours. Next thing I know, we got a whole house full of people. And Dave Ellis comes because he felt like I was going to be mad at him for letting him drive. They tried not to, they even took his keys away from him. And he was, when I talked to him, he was pretty sober, sounded like, you know. And Dave said he had quit drinking so he wouldn't be, you know, bad. And uh Babe always felt like that um, I would blame him for it, which I don't. Adam was Adam. Adam was a spoiled brat and he was going to do whatever he wanted to do. And I spoiled him. I don't mind telling anybody. I spent every time I had on him. And to, and uh but that was probably the worst day of my life. Still is. And it's coming up. Um. I'll probably go over and sit at the grave like I used to do, take a twelve pack and drink beer with it. I'll sit there for three or four hours. Mm-hmm.
2: You mentioned the fact that Lizzie wouldn't let anybody get near
1: him. Um, you took Lizzie in, and then, then you told me uh, when we talked the other day that that's kind of what got you into animal rescue.
3: Yeah, that kind of I had an animal at first. I mean, Adam had a black cat, I mean, a cat at our house, and I had a dog, long-haired Datsun. We always had at least one dog and one cat. Well, after all this went down, Dave kind of wanted Lizzie because he lived on the lake, and Lizzie had spent a lot of time there and everything because of that. But his mom wanted. And, of course, she got him. got her. And I, I didn't really know what to think at the time at the time all this is going on i'm thinking god i just wanted to get over so i can mourn a little bit i can't to this day i haven't mourned because everything's been such a rat race ever since then yeah and uh anyway that happened she got him and after things settled down my wife and i started taking in dogs we got eight dogs now and all of them are rescues. We rescued one that was 30 minutes from being put in the gas chamber. And different things like that, because I, I know how much Adam loved animals. He loved the animals. We used to take him up our way to Grandfather Mountain back then when they had some animals on top of the mountain. He'd go over and pet the goats. He loved animals. And I thought, in honor of him, I'll start rescuing these animals. And that's what i have been doing, taking care. I got a cat and a dog at the vet now. It's probably gonna cost me seven, eight hundred dollars to get them out, but I'll get them out. And um, I told the people at the vet I'm gonna call Social Security and tell them just transfer my check coming to them every month instead of coming to me because I can't, I don't use it. But when we went to clean his house out, he had a house, and we walked in there that day. It was about six weeks after he got killed. I wasn't ready, but his mama wanted to hear him get it done. I wasn't ready, none whatsoever. We walk in, and there's his sandals in front of the kitchen sink like he always left them. Then his two book bags are in his bedroom where he just got back from Bristol, throw them on the I have them two book bags and I haven't looked in them to this day. They're still hanging in the basement. And we're there cleaning the house out the
2: first day. Well, she brought Lizzie. And I'm already having enough trouble. And uh,
3: I finally lost it when I went in his bedroom. And he had a picture on the nightstand of me and him. And uh, I go outside cry. Well they said, "Lizzie." Lizzie's sitting in the driveway. You kind of have to drive up a hill to get to his house. Well Lizzie was sitting in his driveway looking down that road, waiting for Adam to come home. And that was and that's when I said, "I got to help these animals." And that broke my heart. And I went in there and told my wife. I said, "I don't know what your plan is, but don't you ever ask me to come up here and help clean this house again and bring Lizzie, because it's breaking her heart." But that was that day, and that day was two of the worst days of my life. Just to see that dog sitting there. But that was that's pretty much the deal with Adam. I miss him every day. I'm sure you do.
1: At what point did you decide to step away from the sport?
3: After he died, I wasn't too interested in it. I mean, that was in 17. I didn't work for him. Rick calls me says, you know, don't worry about coming back. Don't let HR mess with you. I'll take care of it. You do what you got to do. And me and him talked a lot. He would call me during the time I was off. And we would talk about death. We'd talk about losing our loved ones. Rick was really... Good about helping me, and a, our pastor there at Hendrickson named Donnie Floyd. Donnie had preached at Adam's
2: funeral, and Donnie,
3: between Donnie and well, mostly Donnie, but Rick helped also because he went. You know, Rick said, "Hey, after all, after the plane crash, I planned on getting out," but he says when I realized I've got 600 people here at the race team, depending on me to make a living, I got 3,000 people working at all my dealerships, depending on me to make a living. He said, I couldn't quit. He said, I had to keep going. And when I realized that, I'm thinking, he had all that.
2: I ain't got to all that. I'm going to keep going.
3: And I started uh, really getting back in—I was born in a Christian home, and I really started getting back to God, depending on him to help me through all this. And it was, in a way, it's probably saved my life. But after he got killed, I just didn't care about racing no more. I didn't care. I just didn't—I wasn't interested in nothing. I just wanted to. So, finally, when the chance come, I, I called Social uh, Security and found out I could retire at 66. And on December the 18th, I walked out of there. Of that 2000, year? 2000. I've been retired. This coming December would be two years. So, it would be 20. December 6th, uh 2020.
4: So, what are you doing with yourself
3: these days? What am I doing? Yeah. I am... Doing nothing. How about that? I mean, I don't like it. I'm ready to go back to work. I miss it. Uh-huh. I do not miss the sport because right now the sports is a time that it could blow up any minute, I think. They have made so many changes and so many different rule changes, and there's certain people in charge of NASCAR now that I just don't like. And I don't like, you know, where it's headed. But I miss the people. Yeah. I, I miss the people. Well. And I can't call them all all the time because I don't, I don't know what they're doing. They might be at a funeral themselves. And I don't want to call and say, hey, what you doing? You know, I still try to stay in contact. I talked to Dave, I talked to Tony Stewart some, I talked to Terry and Bobby, of course. And um, Daryl, um, who else? I just, uh, but I still talk to, try to get, and Dale, of course. And I try to, you know, stay connected in a way that I can. But I think at that time, before he got killed, we were racing chase. And I was having probably one of the best times of my life when we was doing that. It was five, it was Lance McGrew, Jim Long, Billy Wilburn,
2: uh, Happy,
3: Jim, it was six, seven of us, I said five, seven of us, that Rick put together to start Chase's career. And that's what we did, you know. Most of it was five—that's what it was, five of us had been crew chiefs somewhere in the past, you know. Lance had always been crew chief, and uh, that was just a good bunch of guys that wanted to race and wanted to make Chase a good driver. Well, after the first race we ran with him, we all went, boy, we got something here. He was just so smooth. And uh, I enjoyed it. going to some of them tracks that Arca was running at the time. And uh, it was just a good experience to know that I had something to do with bringing up a good driver. And, of course, we had Alex Bowman doing all our uh, tire tests and stuff for us at the same time. He worked with us. And we knew Alex was a good driver. And when they were trying to decide who they were going to put in the '88 car, we kind of gave our input to Rick when he Rick would come to our shop sometime in our shop just to get away from everything that was going on, and come in there and talk to us. And uh, you know, it was we pretty much told him how it was a good shoe, and uh, that's how you know it helped me understand what was going on. And when they when Adam got killed, they all knew Adam. And, you know, it was just, it made it easier on me.
2: Yeah.
3: Because everybody, and I tried to tell everybody, I don't want you pity. I don't want you feeling sorry for me. I just want you to pray for me. That's all I asked. Just help me understand what I can do to be better with losing him because I don't think I'll ever get over it. Everybody says all oh, time, you know. A year from now, it won't be that bad. Bullcrap. Only thing time does is let you understand more about what happened and how God works. It don't heal nothing. It don't take any of the pain away. It just lets you be a better person than what you thought you could be at the time with all the turmoil going on. But yeah, I, I've told people all the time, you know, well, I'm sorry, but don't be. Adam wouldn't want you to be. Just be yourself. That's, that's all I ask. And that's the reason, like, you know, when me and you was talking at night, and you said something about talking about Adam. Yeah, I don't have a problem talking about him, because that way I can keep his name going. And when I die, I don't know what's going to happen. He was the last one in our family to keep our name going. So the right name will die when I die. But, uh, you know, I'll see him again. First thing I'm going to do is smack him and tell him he shouldn't have left me down here. Then I'll probably hug his neck. But, uh, you know, I just, it's, it's made me a better person.
1: This segment is brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing show place. Honestly, there is nothing that we can possibly add to that interview. All I know to say is that when I found out what Pete's son's name was, I was already on my heels. His son's name is Adam, and I've got a son named Adam. And tomorrow is going to be a kind of a difficult day for us because we are taking Adam and Jesse up to school and leaving them there. So Jeannie and I are going to be empty nesters, but that is nothing. Absolutely nothing compared to what Pete and his family went through. But then also we talked about Lizzie. (laughs) I was not a dog person or any other kind of animal person until my Otis came along. Everybody on this podcast who's ever listened to it, you know how I feel about Otis. Otis is my buddy. Otis has this way of looking at you. (laughs) It's kind of like he's staring straight into your soul. If he wants to go for a ride, it's like he's still a puppy and he gets so excited about going for a ride and he knows how to work the people at the drive through. If they give out treats and everything, he'll stick his nose through the window and he'll get himself a treat. So, Steve, again, just what Pete went through in the loss of his son and then also Adam's love for animals and Pete's love for animals now and, and the links that he's gone to, to rescue animals. That is my takeaway from this interview. That has been what has helped him in the healing process. So again, I'm going to challenge everybody out there listening to go to roughloverescue.com Slash donate, R U F F L O V E R E S C U E dot com slash donate and do whatever you can in honor of Pete and Lizzie and in memory of Adam. So for me, the most powerful thing that Pete Wright said during this interview was this He said, I don't want your pity. I don't want you feeling sorry for me. I just want you to pray for me. That's all I ask.
4: That shows Pete's courage in all of this. And Pete, I just want to say to you personally, I don't have the words to console you through what you have been through, but I do have two words to tell you how much we really appreciate speaking to us in such a frank manner. Pete, thank you.
1: So to Adam Wright, rest in peace, my friend.